0: Our reading today comes from John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine There is no doubt in my mind that the last six months have been some of the strangest and most difficult months in our lives. And what I want to do today is just take our eyes off of all of the circumstances and chaos of the world around us at the moment. And I want us to fix our gaze on God and talk about what I think he is doing. I want to talk about what I think he's doing in our hearts want to talk about what he's doing in our lives as individuals, what he's doing in the life and community of Christ City, and what he's doing in the world around us, because honestly, I think he's at work. He's forming us, and he's shaping us, and he's preparing us, and he's healing us, and one of the things that I've become absolutely convinced about over the last six months is that he's pruning us. And like a good gardener, our loving Father does not cut and prune without having a plan for our fruitfulness and our flourishing. He's not a sadistic gardener that's gone into the garden and is just hacking and slashing away. He's a careful vine dresser who intimately knows his vine and the branches, and he knows how to prune those branches back to make them fruitful. And here's what I want us to do today as we look at John 15. I want us to see that we can draw a direct line between the pruning work of God and the fullness of our joy, and that the line that connects those two is our abiding in Christ. I want us to see that we can draw a direct line from our pruning The pruning work of the Father in our lives and the fullness of our joy and the the connection between those two, the direct line that you can draw goes through and intersects our abiding in Christ. And so that's how we're going to look at it. We're going to look at pruning, abiding, and joy. We're going to look at the pruning of the Father. We're going to look at our abiding in Christ. And we're going to look at the fullness of our joy. So let's talk about pruning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Allison and I were sitting in a garden-like backyard of some friends of ours and I noticed a particularly fruitful pear tree. And uh, I knew that they'd been in the house for a number of years, but I just said, like what have you done to get that pear tree to produce so much fruit? And what they said is the first couple of growing seasons that they were living in that house, it really wasn't a particularly fruitful tree. Uh, they didn't know how to prune it. It was growing tall and it was very leafy and it didn't produce much fruit and any fruit that it did produce wasn't tremendous, it wasn't great. And so they had to learn how to prune the tree. And any of the shoots that were growing up and producing leaves, they had to cut. And they had to almost drastically cut the tree back in order to have it produce fruit. And now they have an absolute abundance of it. See, what was happening was all of the energy was going into the tree and all of the nutrients in the tree were just producing new branches and new leaves, but it wasn't producing any fruit. And so once they cut all of the new branches and new leaves back, they started to have a lot of pears. That's the kind of pruning that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15. In verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And if you keep going in verse 5, we see that Jesus there says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So that means that God the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser, that Jesus is the vine, and that the disciples of Jesus are the branches. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, the branches that aren't fruitful, it says he takes away, and the branches that are fruitful, he prunes. It's a cutting away or it's a cutting back. It's a removal or it's a renewal. And verse 3 helps us to make sense of this metaphor when Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, on the surface, that might not make a bunch of sense in conjunction with the previous two verses. But in verse 2, where Jesus says that our Father prunes us, us as branches, that we might bear more fruit, he's literally saying that it's the work of the Father to prune or cleanse the fruitful branches that they may bear more fruit. So in verse 2, it talks about pruning, and verse 3 talks about being clean. Prune and clean in verses 2 and 3 are deeply connected. Verse 3 then becomes very encouraging because Jesus is telling his disciples that they are already clean. He says our Father is pruning or cutting back and renewing the fruitful branches as a cleansing to make them more fruitful. And he says, you though are already clean. What he means is, you're already clean, you've already been pruned, and as pruned branches, you are ready to go and bear fruit. Dr. D.A. Carson says, the cleansing power of the word Jesus has spoken to his disciples then is equivalent to the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. So if you are in Christ, you have been pruned, and you will be pruned because God is going to use you to bear kingdom fruit. You have been cleaned, and you will be cleaned, because God is going to use you to bear kingdom fruit. And that kind of pruning hurts. He prunes you because he loves you. See, he prunes us as followers of Jesus because we are his. Pruning is not always a pleasant experience, and I think our Heavenly Father has perhaps been pruning us in tremendous ways over the last six months. Pruning is not always pleasant, but pruning is always necessary for fruit-bearing. So could it be, perhaps, that what we have been going through as Jesus' church, here and around the world, is a pruning that is preparing us for a harvest? Could it be that all of the isolation and the frustration and the social upheaval and the pain that's been produced in this season, could it be that those are being used by God to bring renewal to his church? Could it be that we're like the wild vine, right? We're like the wild tree that's just been growing a lot of leaves and on the surface it looks great. On the outside it's all good, it's flourishing but that all the energy we've been spending to craft our image, to appear to be healthy, that's all been for our own self-adornment and for our own glory and gain. Could it be? Could it be that we are being pruned for greater kingdom effectiveness in our generation than we've ever had before? One biblical counselor said many self-oriented Christians are more concerned about producing leaves that make themselves look good than about producing the fruit of the Spirit for God's glory. See, big, beautiful leaves might make the plant or the tree look great, But our Father is far more interested in our fruitfulness, and sometimes when a plant or a vine or a tree is overgrown, we need the pruning shears of a skilled gardener or vine dresser to come in and do some surgical pruning. We need to be aware of the process of pruning, that it typically comes through circumstances of trials and suffering and pain. We need to be aware of this so that when we suffer painful trials, it doesn't mean we, we need to know this, that it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. In, in fact, it's the opposite. It means that He's preparing us and renewing us for a harvest of fruitfulness in our lives. God will trim the excess in your life so that you keep on producing fruit in Jesus' name. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this whole concept might actually give you a little bit of a window and some understanding. Uh, about why your Christian friend perhaps seems like he or she is handling this season reasonably well. See, for Christians, there is always meaning in suffering because we serve a God who suffered. But for those who don't know and follow Jesus, what seems like meaningless suffering, purposelessness in the way that the whole world is working, it can become exhausting. But for the Christian, any suffering, any pain, is always... Filled with meaning because we serve a God who suffered. Frederick Dale Bruner said, The Lord's own deepest pruning was the cross. Faithful disciples, too, it is promised again and again in the Gospels, will have their crosses or prunings. But in three days, the harvest of the empty grave and the reality of life followed Jesus' cross. Something comparably miraculous and fruitful waits on the other side of every faithful disciple's prunings and crosses. See, through the finished work of Jesus, then, we have a totally different perspective. We don't look at the difficulties of life as though we've taken a loss. Because we know that God is always at work. We're not trying to craft an image that says, I'm good, my life is good, everything's good, look at all that I have, look at all that I've done, look at all that I'm doing, you should be impressed with me. That's not our desire as followers of Jesus. See, our goal isn't building a leafy life that looks full and luscious on the surface. Our goal is fruitfulness in service to God so that when we suffer pruning, we know the greater end goal is on its way to being realized and we can cope with the pain because we know that growth is painful. That's why Christians can suffer tremendous loss and by all worldly standards, truly lose it all and say it is well. It is well with my soul. I'm standing on the unshakable foundation of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. I'm standing in Christ. My eternal identity is secure in him. I can let go of the rest of it. See, for Christians, pruning does not equal punishment. Hebrews chapter 12 helps us greatly with this idea. Verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So for those of us in Christ, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, pruning is not punishment. It's purposeful discipline that forms our character and actions for our good and for God's glory. It brings renewal into our lives, and with that, fullness of joy. So you can draw a direct line from the pruning work of God on one end to the fullness of our joy on the other end, and I want to show you how. That line that connects That direct line between pruning and joy is our abiding in Christ. We've looked at the pruning of the Father. Let's look at our abiding in Christ. Verse 4. See, the idea of abiding, it just means remain or dwell. Jesus is saying, make your home with me, remain with me, dwell in me, and I in you. This is how you actually sustain a spiritual life in the world. It's it's being intimately attached to Jesus, grafted into the life-giving vine this is the work of the gospel see abiding in christ is dwelling in the fullness of your union with him and that union comes from his finished work in the gospel his finished work upon the cross in our place his finished work in resurrecting from the dead we've been brought into relationship with god through the work of jesus and it's in our abiding that we continue on in that relationship See, no branch has life in and of itself. Its source of life is the vine that it's connected to. Right? The image is the grapevine. When you plant a grapevine and the trunk begins to grow up and then it begins to grow out, you spread the vine across a trellis or a metal wire that helps the vine to be able to bear the weight of the grapes before they're harvested. Jesus says the branch cannot produce fruit if it's not connected to the vine. And in the same way, your life cannot flourish if you aren't connected to me. That's what Jesus is saying abiding with me and dwelling with me and remaining with me. Now, on the other hand, verse 5 actually shows us that if we do abide in Christ and remain in him and dwell with him, that we're promised to be those who bear fruit in our Christian lives. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And don't forget that. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Fruitfulness is not supposed to be something that we are that stressed about because if we abide in Christ, he promises to make us fruitful. So the Christian life isn't full of striving to try and achieve, stand on our own merit. The Christian life is full of abiding. We don't try and produce fruit in order to be grafted into the vine. We don't try and produce fruit in order to remain in the vine. We actually produce fruit when we receive the life of the vine through our abiding in him. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And if we live out of the power of our relationship with him, we will bear much fruit precisely because without him we can do nothing. Now nothing here doesn't mean nothing nothing. People who don't know Jesus do lots of great things. What it means is nothing of eternal value. It's not speaking of something in an accumulation sense, in a quantitative sense. It's speaking of the qualitative fruit of our lives. It's talking about the kind of fruit that we produce. The kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about is the sacrificial fruit that shows up on your calendar when you give people time. It's the sacrificial fruit that shows up on your bank statement because of your generosity. It's the kind of fruit that shows up in early mornings by yourselves, on your knees, with your Bible open, crying out to God for revival in Vancouver and interceding for others who are friends and family and those who are suffering right now. The kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about is the way that you love those around you. It's talking about the reconciled relationships that were broken and have now been mended and made whole. It's taking shots in life because you stand faithfully with Jesus. It's caring for the orphan and the widow in Jesus' name. It's forgiveness and love and justice and being a peacemaker in a hostile world. It's fruit that lasts so that at the end of the age you know that your efforts were not in vain. It's not quantitative fruit, it's qualitative fruit that glorifies God. It's a particular kind of fruitfulness that brings God glory. But the right question to ask is how then do we actually abide in Christ? There's two means of abiding that Jesus shows us here in this text, and I'll take you to both of them. Let's look at the first, verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, his word abiding in you is taking seriously the revelation of the gospel in his teaching. Jesus' word to his disciples is basically everything that he has already said up until this point in their life and ministry. And Jesus' word, in fact, is everything that he told them. It encompasses all of who he is, all of the I am statements that you see through the beginning part of the Gospel of John. I am the vine is actually the final one. All the declarations of who he is, how they are to love one another, how he has loved them in the same way, and how he will continue to love them. All of that. His words, do they abide in you? Back in verse 3, we actually saw this. It says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is saying, This is the culmination of all the things that I've said to you. Look at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right here's so for the first means of abiding that we're looking at, abiding in Christ, is to take seriously the revelation of the gospel in his life and teaching. And just as an aside, that means you're going to come before him in prayer with unprecedented boldness. He said, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's because if you're a person in whom his word abides... Your will begins to be lined up with the will of God, and you can ask with massive boldness. Unprecedented boldness, but that's another message. The second means of abiding in Christ is abiding in his love. Now that sounds super abstract, and so just let me ground it. Let's look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, we abide in his love when we keep his commands. Our love is only expressed and can only be expressed in our obedience to the commands of Jesus. And we're not left to do that alone. Jesus modeled it for us. Leslie Newbegin said, jesus abiding in his father's love was expressed in his obedience jesus had no program of his own he planned no career for himself he sought no identity for himself no image He simply responded in loving obedience to the will of his Father as it was presented to him in all of the accidents, contingencies, and interruptions of daily life, among all the personal and public ambitions and fears and jealousies of that little province of the Roman Empire in the time of Herod and Pontius Pilate. Only thus did Jesus abide in the love of the Father. So the disciple will abide in the love of Jesus by following him along exactly the same road. So abiding in Christ practically means taking the revelation of the gospel seriously, that's abiding in his word, and dwelling in his love through obedience to his commands. And you say, to what end? Well, see this. We've looked at the pruning of the Father and our abiding in Christ. Let's look at the fullness of our joy. Verse 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, you can draw a direct line from the pruning work of God to the fullness of your joy and that line is connected through your life of abiding in Christ. Abiding means having Jesus' word in us. Abiding means we have Jesus' love in us. And abiding means we have Jesus' joy in us. He says, these things I've spoken to you. That's everything he has said about pruning and abiding. It's for the fullness of our joy. Just think about that for a second. His joy in us, that our joy may be full in a pandemic. Yes. Irrespective of circumstances. In trials, yes in suffering and pain. Yes. How? Well, it's Jesus' joy in us, and his joy was not circumstantial. His joy is grounded in his eternal relationship with his Father. His joy is grounded in being loved and sent by God to fulfill his mission. Our joy, then, is full when it's grounded in Jesus' love. Our joy is full when it's grounded in our relationship with the Father through the finished work of Jesus. Our joy is full when we participate in what Jesus has sent us to do in the world. We don't do that alone. We do do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our joy is full when we see the fruit of the gospel at work in us. And that's how we connect the pruning work of the Father to the fullness of our joy. We must remain in Jesus. If you're getting prepared to celebrate communion with your house church, one of the things I want to point out, one of the ways that we have historically as Christians celebrated our abiding in Christ and his abiding in us is by the sharing of the bread and the wine in the celebration of communion. Christ's work on your behalf is sufficient for every ounce of your salvation. You could never accomplish it on your own. You, apart from Christ, are in deep trouble. You, in Christ, can celebrate with the fullness of joy the reality that Jesus paid the ransom for your sin and salvation, that he purchased your salvation through his work on the cross. Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed that we might enter into relationship with God now and forevermore. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gathered together in some way, celebrate communion. Take the bread and the wine with great thankfulness and may you be filled with joy as you do so. Let me pray. Father, I ask you that you would meet us in this celebration of communion. Holy Spirit, come. Minister to our hearts. Fill us with courage and strength and joy. Lord, I know that not everyone listening to this is as excited about this season of life as others, but I ask you that you would meet them in the depth of the valley and that, Lord, you might walk them by the hand through the storm, through the pain, through the suffering, through the isolation, through the brokenness that people would deeply, deeply fall in love with you once again. Father, we embrace your pruning because we know that it is ultimately for our good and your glory. Help us and strengthen us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.